let's get rolling. Glad you guys made it out this morning. Now we're going to pick up here where we kind of left off last week. We've been in this series called The New Man. We've been in it for, this is now week 15. Okay, so we've been in this for a while. Um, that's kind of how we roll around here. We should take topics and run them as far as we possibly can. But the thing is, is that we got to start with a couple of things. Remember, I'm going to work back. If you remember last week, we started to talk about what I wanted to show you is that to get rid of the idea, because we talked about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we ultimately, prior to that, talked about how there were three baptisms mentioned in the Bible. You have the baptism into Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, how we're baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ. That's our born-again moment, if you will, when that new man comes in and he takes hold and he is now home. The old man is gone. Then we have, the, obviously, the baptism in water done by disciples. And then the third one, the one that Jesus talked about, the one that John the Baptist talked about, like this is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with power, right? We see that happen in the book of Acts. That is the third baptism, and it has a purpose. Does one have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to be a born-again believer? No, they don't. There's nothing saying you have to do it. If you choose to do it, choose not to do it, okay? It has nothing to do with salvation. But the thing I wanted to show you is that it's so important that Jesus told his disciples, listen, here's what I need you to do. I need you to hang out in Jerusalem. Remember, the Feast of Pentecost was coming. The Feast of Pentecost, every able-bodied male Jew had to go back to Jerusalem. They were already there. They'd been there since the Passover. They were kind of hanging around the area. He said, I need you to go into all the world and make disciples, right? But he said, before you do that, Hang out in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to fall upon you. That way you're empowered to be my witnesses in the earth. And that's what we're talking about. At the moment of that happening, what begins to take place? These guys are totally different. There's this boldness on them. They're walking around. People are being heal healed, right? Demons are being cast out. They're doing supernatural things. We got Philip, who was a deacon. He was one of the seven chosen in Acts chapter 5 or 6. I can't remember which one exactly. One of the seven that was chosen is to kind of serve the tables, if you will, so the apostles could be about prayer and the word. And he goes in there and he baptizes this, this uh, Ethiopian eunuch, which was a servant of the queen of Ethiopia. And as soon as he baptizes him in water, he comes out, he's translated to another place. He disappears. Now, we read that kind of quick. We're like, oh, okay, he jumped in a, probably called Uber and headed over there, right? But that's not what it says. It's like he was here one moment. And now he's in another place, another. If you ever watched Star Trek back in the day, Next Generation, any fans? Anybody? Nobody? Nobody? Okay. Yeah, I was. I was. I didn't do Star Wars. I did Star Trek, so I know I'm on a lower level. But, but what did they do? They beamed me up, Scotty, right? They were in one place in one moment and another place in another moment. How does that happen? That's supernatural. Not a not Star Trek, it wasn't. It was all special effects. But... But they did, and, and, and so what, I, what we were seeing here is like all through the book of Acts, you have all these examples of these miraculous things happening by people baptized in the Holy Spirit, operating with the authority and power of God. Fair enough? Did that stop in that moment? Some like to say it did. Once the canon of Scripture was complete, the Bible is now in force. We no longer need that. God does not speak to us on an individual level. Uh, miracles don't happen anymore, things like that. It's a popular narrative today. If you go to Dallas Theological Seminary, which I don't recommend, it's got a lot of good things, but they'll tell you, nope, those stopped with the apostles. I asked them, people that have graduated from that, can you show me the Bible verse that tells us that? And they can't. It's not possible. And we just spent a lot of time going through Scripture because I didn't think we needed to, because I think we all are on the same page here. What we did last week is we went through history. 
And we showed from the 1st century, the 2nd century, the 3rd century, the 4th century, up into the 1600s and 1700s, how the same gifts of the Spirit were in operation. People being healed, people being set free, physical manifestations, how people would fall over with Martin Luther, with John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church. I mean, all of these things were happening in their service, were written down by them. So one of two things would happen. Either they were making it up for Lord knows what reason, or they were really happening. They'd have no motive to make it up, so why would they? It wasn't like they were selling books back then. It wasn't like they could get on some TV show like, oh, you want to be touched by God for $39.99, I'll sell you a book and tell you how to do it. That's not what was going on. It was days prior to the, uh, <laughs> they didn't have Amazon, so it couldn't happen that way, right? There was no QVC or anything like that. But how do we get to the point where we receive this new man? I mean, what, what's the key that kind of unlocks all of this? I'm going to write a word down. It's a word you're familiar with, but it's going to be the key point that we're going to focus on the next couple of weeks, okay? Now, I know I write terrible, so if you can't read my handwriting, don't worry. I'm going to tell you what it is. Can you all see that? What's the word? It's faith, right? And we throw that word around so loosely. Oh, you got to have faith. You want to be healed, you got to have faith. And we make faith this action word, and we give faith all of this power. But what if I were to tell you that perhaps we don't understand everything about this word? Would we all agree, at least on this principle, is that the church is really good at just assuming we know what something means, right? We do that all the time. I have some of you guys that will come up to me either after a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, or sometimes you email me or whatever, and say, I've read that passage so many times I can't even tell you, and yet I had no idea that's what it meant. In fact, I'm going to show you one of those today, okay? So you're going to get your money's worth today, no doubt about it. But what is faith? Well, we like to turn to a couple of verses. In fact, they start in the book of Hebrews, right? Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtain a good testimony. What's the it? Faith. By faith the elders obtain a good testimony. Now, what do we do here? We like to take this, and this has been the popular thing, that we're like, faith is now. Now faith is. Okay? But is that what it says? Uh, sort of. And I'll show you at the end what we're talking about. So, what is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen? It's faith, right? Right. So, it's got to be that. All right, well, let's go to the next one. Hebrews 11.6. This is the next one. We like to skip a few and then jump down here. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Right? This is another one. We love to throw this one out here. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Is it true? Yep. Did it tell us what faith was? Nope. Just says if you don't have it, you can't please him. So don't you think we ought to figure out what it is? Because don't you want to please God? I know I do. I certainly don't want to displease God. I want him on my side. So when we throw these words around, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But yet we don't sit here and question, well, what is faith? Like, what exactly is it? And how do I get it? Because apparently I need it because I want to please him. So how do I get it? Like, where do I go? Can I buy it? Like, can you pray for me and give me some of it? Maybe you have a lot of faith, and I'll just take a little bit of yours. You keep most of it. but just throw a little, little seed my way, you know, whatever. How do we get there? Well, it doesn't tell us. And we just make assumptions, OK? 
Okay? Well, let's go to the next one. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Oh, how does faith come? Well, it comes by hearing. Well, hearing what? Hearing the word of God. But here's what we do with this. And these are, I'm telling you guys, that those of you guys know my background, I'm a graduate from Rama. like the guy invented faith, Kenneth Hagin. Like there was no faith before Kenneth Hagin. He invented it. He had it tattooed on his left bicep. That's a joke, okay? He really did it. But it's called the Word of Faith Movement. He was the founder of it. The man believed God. Okay? So he would sit here and he would tell us. They say faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. Question, when do we stop hearing and when do we start applying? Like when does the faith come? It comes by hearing and hearing. Well, how often do we have to hear? So is it that simple that we just have to hear? Would you agree that there have been people in life that have heard the word of God multiple times and yet don't have faith unto salvation. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. If all we got to do is hear and hear and hear and hear and hear, then why aren't they having faith? Is it maybe more than that? But we know this. It's the faith that comes, right? Okay. So let me ask you a question. A little, little interactive part of the program today. Here we go. Ready? So how are we healed? Very good. You guys, you guys are getting this. Don't be afraid to shout it out when you know the answer. Okay, here we go. Okay, and then how do we walk with God? By faith, right? Right. And how do we believe the God for those things that we can't see? And then how are we saved? Wrong. Pull up that verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, yes, I set you up, but here's the thing. And this is what I do. Like, it's gotten to the point, like, where some people, they'll just quit playing along. They're like, it's too easy. There's no way it's that easy. He's setting me up. It's through faith that we're saved, but it's not by it. Now, yes, I set you up, but that's really how we think. If they just believed, Right? Well, then how, how can you not believe? But it's by grace. Well, what does grace mean? Well, grace is broken down very simply. It's giving you something that you don't deserve. Right? I mean, be honest. Every Christmas we buy our kids presents. At some of your point now, it's grandkids. Do they really deserve it? I mean, deserve it. They get it because they have a pulse. That's really the qualifications we lay out. But do they deserve it? Probably not. Like, we did the Santa things with our kids, and uh, the threat of that, like, hey, you're going to get charcoal, isn't as effective as I had hoped. Because they got it figured out. Well, at least to the point they're like, yeah, I think I can get away with this one. Santa's still going to roll around. Right? So, but, but it's like, it, we, we put this emphasis on faith. Like, the grace of God is given to us by him, through him, how do we receive it? Well, we receive it through faith. So if that's how we get born again, how do we get healed? By grace, through faith. See, we've gone a wrong direction here. Because, and we'll get into this as we talk about healing and different things in the weeks to come. But if, if it is true that it's by Jesus' stripes that we are healed, when we get into Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53, and how he took away our sin, but in the Hebrew, it actually talks about how he takes away our sickness. How come we can receive one that we can't see, i.e. our salvation, but when it comes to healing, we can't accept that? Perhaps it is, it's because we don't believe it. 
And that's the reality of it, folks, is that we agree with the Bible. Yep, I agree that that's true, but we do not believe it. So now we've got to break down and say, well, what is the definition of faith? Well, let's go and put up that next slide. This here, guys, is the uh, Greek word for faith used in the New Testament. It is the word, I know you can't read that because it's Greek. It's pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. That's how we say it in English. That's that little uh, weird-looking stuff right there. Okay? But what is the definition of faith? We throw it around. You need more faith. You got to have faith. You didn't have enough faith. You should get more faith. You should buy more faith. Thank God for Amazon Prime. We'll order it there. It'll be here in two days. But look at all the definitions used for faith. You've got assurance, belief, fidelity, all of these things. Another one that's not up there, trust. See, faith is a, a generic term that we're really good at throwing around. What we're not really good at is defining it. We'll all admit that we need it. We'll say that we're saved through it, but not by it. But we don't talk about what it is, and we don't talk about how we get it. And we're going to go over some of this. This is kind of an intro into this portion today. But I want to look at a couple of different passages of Scripture, because we're going to see what faith does. Simply broken down, what is faith? It is belief. It is trust. In fact, those words are used interchangeably throughout the New Testament where that same Greek word, paistis, is used. So it tells us they have a similar, if not um, complete, copy of the definition. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I've got it up on the screen. If you've got your Bible, you're welcome to read along. But I know most of you just follow on the screen, and that's okay. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. What did he just tell us? Hey guys, we're saved by grace through faith. That's what he just said. Okay, verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, in other words, how serious are you about this? Do you really believe? Being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's pause there for a second. So our faith should bring praise, honor, and glory to Jesus. Fair enough? Whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When it says the end, it can be the result of your faith that you have accepted him, even though you haven't seen him. The worst thing that has ever happened to the church, I say this I'm maybe being a little overdramatic here, is the concept that our faith is blind, that we have blind faith. Well, we don't need to see. We just need to believe. You'll hear church people, you hear pastors say this stuff, you just got to believe God. Okay, that is truth. But we act as if there isn't evidence of God all around us. For example, how do we believe that this world was created as we were? Well, we're standing on a rock spinning through space. How did it get here? Was it a happy accident? In the beginning was nothing, then nothing exploded and created everything? That's not how it works, folks. That breaks scientific laws. Well, who put the scientific laws? How can you have consistency without a consistency giver? 
It's called the law of causality. Everything that has a beginning has a cause. So therefore, whatever cause, time, earth, space, all of that stuff has to be outside of time, has to be outside of space, has to be outside of matter, i.e. God. Following me? But he's saying specifically, like, you guys didn't see Jesus. This is Peter. This is years after Jesus is gone. But Peter saw him. So you're taking it on my testimony that Jesus did exist, that he did die, and that three days after that, he did rise again. And as a matter of fact, uh, he's willingly getting ready to lay down his life for that very truth. Because if Jesus didn't really die, or he didn't really raise from the dead, Peter's going on with life, he'll be fishing. Because people will die for a lie that they believe is a truth, but they will not die for a lie that they know is a lie. Peter is sitting here saying, you don't see him but yet you believe. And the result of that belief is the salvation of your souls. Let's go on. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. What have they inquired and what have they searched? The scriptures, what they did. Who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time? The spirit of Christ, who was in them. What are we talking about? Holy Spirit, right? But that spirit of Christ was in them and was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. All the things that happened to Jesus were written down in advance to the tune that he would die on a cross 500 years before the Romans invented it. Coincidence, I'm sure. To them, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. So all of these things were written down not for them, but you were ministering to us, us now, us in that moment. Those prophets were putting things to the future, and now these things have been reported to you. Through the people preaching the gospel. Like all those things they wrote down. Hey, guess what, guys? It happened. It's time. Verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word hope there happens to be the same word used as faith. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges each one's work, conduct yourself throughout your time of your stay here in fear. You notice how he says the time of your stay here. What's he referring to? On this earth. Because we have a greater reality. Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and who gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Why? Does he say that your faith and hope can be in God? Because God raised Jesus from the dead, of which Peter was a witness, and now a first-hand testimony is being given. You didn't see it, but yet you believe, because of the truth that I'm telling you, that we can go back and we can look and we can uh, promote and we can do all of these different things. Guys, this idea of faith, was their faith blind? It's grounded in evidence. They're a first-century church. These people that are coming to Christ, like, all you got to do is, like, if you want to know if Jesus is still buried in the tomb, go back to Jerusalem. Go look. He ain't there. 
Why are these things happening and going like wildfire? The church, 3,000 added on this day and then 5,000 on that day and all of this stuff. Because it's true. It wasn't blind, but their faith and their hope was in God. Your belief and your trust that you are fully persuaded that God is able. You see, that's really what faith gets down to. Are you fully persuaded that what Jesus said and what Jesus did is reality? Because if you're not, then you don't have faith. But if you are, the circumstances around you are irrelevant. Wouldn't it be easier? You got, he just said, be holy because I am holy, quoting an Old Testament passage. Wouldn't it be easier just to go out there and live life any way that we wanted to? I mean, anyway, because this whole Christian thing is kind of a pain, right? We're not exactly well-liked in the marketplace. Throw something spiritual up on Facebook, and what do they say? You can't judge. Only God can judge me. And the problem with that is he's gonna. So, like, you should listen to me. I'm trying to help you out here. But guys, we, we, our faith and our hope aren't in God for no reason. It's there because we have trusted and we have believed. We have to get that. How do we know that we are born again and we are a new man? Because the word tells us that when we receive by grace through faith what he has done on our behalf, that we are confident that we will be with him in heaven at the end of times. Our faith and our hope are in God. The death and resurrection and burial and all of that other stuff that happened with Jesus aren't just something in scripture. There's something in history. There's something that took place. There's things that you can go back and read ancient writings trying to figure out well, what was going on. You see it in the Bible where the Pharisees are trying to like pay off the guards to get them to say some other story other than the fact that somebody was risen from the dead. How do we accept that? We have to start with the fact that God is who he is and we believe him. Faith is not hard. Kids do it all the time, right? I had my son. I'll give you an example. I had controls. Now, you've seen my red van. I call it Rusty with good reasons because it's pretty rusty. But I love this van. Any van that I can pay $1,000 for and it drives like a champ, I don't care what it looks like on the outside. You could glue doll heads on it. I'd drive it around for 1000 bucks. You kidding me? Absolutely. Well, it had steering wheel controls on it for the radio. I had my son convinced that I could control the volume of the radio with my mind. Right? He'd come up there, and I'd, I'd have the trigger, and I'd do this. I'd wave my hand across, and it'd get louder. I'd go the other way, it'd get softer. He was blown away. He'd try it. It's not working for me, Dad. It's because you don't believe, buddy. you got to believe. And so we went back and forth, and finally I let the cat out of the bag. But I had fun with that for months. He'd, I, I forgot to tell my wife what I had been doing with him. So, like, they'd get in the van, and I wasn't with them. He'd go up to the radio. He's like, nothing was happening. She's like, what are you doing? Try to turn the volume up. So she'd reach over there and turn up the knob, you know, I mean. But why did he believe it? He had no reason not to, right? Childlike faith. He trusted me, yeah. My, uh, my overarching sarcasm is ruining a little bit of that because now he's, now he's a little untrusting. And it's well-deserved. But it's that belief, that childlike faith. I believe God. I believe his word. I believe what he says. So if what he says about me is true, then I am a new creation in Christ. And that old is gone. Therefore, what happened 10 years ago, a month ago, doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. I can't go back and fix it. But from this day on, I will live and be holy because he was holy. And therefore, I am the resurrection of God in Christ with Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father because he is the head and I am his body. I am part of the church, his bride to be. And I know that the end times, and this is the beautiful part, it's about to get crazy out there, y'all. But here's a good thing. We don't have to be here because he's taking his church from them. That's his bride. 
How do I know this? How do I believe in this? How do I? Because I trust him. Because everything, like it or not, Christianity is not convenient, folks. Really not. Kind of a pain. If you're a businessman, underhanded dealings can make you rich. But something about that you can't do from a sheer conscious standpoint. I mean, just as an example, yesterday we went to Kohl's, okay? And uh, they had some deal where you got 30% off if you used a Kohl's card. We're like, give us a Kohl's. I like 30% off, y'all, okay? So I'm like, give us a Kohl's card. So she plugged it in, did it, gives us the card, and then she hit the button again. So it gave us an additional 30% off. I like that even more, but she wasn't supposed to. And I said, listen, I don't want to argue with you about this, and I'm all for this, but you just gave me an extra 45 bucks off, and you really shouldn't. And uh, she had to call her manager over there to fix it and all that stuff. And they ended up giving us the discount anyway. But the convenient thing was to say nothing and walk away and be like, score one for the good guys. <laughs> but something inside you is like, that's not right. Now, praise the Lord, I got the discount anyway. And at that point, when the boss says, you know, we'll let it slide, it was unintentional. I'm like, well, let's go hit that button a few more times if we're letting it slide. Let's not quit. Now we're doing so well. But it's, it's not convenient, but it's because we love God and we believe him. The reason when a loved one dies and you're a born-again believer that we can have hope and a looking to something greater is because we know he's with the Father or she's with the Father and one day we'll be with him again. But I'll promise you this, that when you're in the presence of Jesus, you ain't going to care who's there with you, around you in that moment. Because you're in the presence of God. Now let's go to Romans chapter 10. We've read, we read this, uh, a passage out of this, okay? That faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing by the word of God. But let's look at this in context. What you need to understand is Paul, when he wrote the letter to the Romans, Romans chapter uh, 9, Romans chapter 10, and Romans chapter 11, are talking specifically about the past of Israel in chapter 9, the present time of Israel in chapter 10, and in chapter 11, the future of Israel. Because he goes in and argues like, listen guys, I'm an Israelite. It's not like God's done with us. But he's also a believer. Here we go. Romans chapter 10. We're going to catch the context. Verse 14. How then shall they call on him, who's him? Jesus. In whom they have not believed. What's that word believed? They don't have faith. How do they call on him if they don't believe in him? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Fair enough, right? How can you believe in something you never heard of? Okay. And how shall they hear without a preacher? Right? Okay. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? It's very logical. all makes sense. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good, of good things. Okay? Ask yourself, do you have beautiful feet? Because if you don't, maybe you're not going out preaching enough. I'm moving on. Verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. What is the gospel? Paul tells them that in three days Jesus died. He was buried and he was resurrected. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5, tells us exactly. This is the gospel that I preach. Here we go. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed they've heard. Now remember, he just got done talking about how they didn't believe. They've heard. And then he gives this passage. I think this is out of Isaiah. Their sound has gone out of, to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. What's this talking about? Guys, if you look back in this passage, I think it's Isaiah, maybe Psalms, don't quote me on that, is that this is talking about how the heavens declare the glory of God, and their voice goes into all the earth. Remember we talked about stars and things when we got last year? How they have a sound that is emitted. How, 
how, how have they not heard? Like, have they not heard? Yes, they've heard. How do they hear? The heavens declare the glories of God. Think to Romans 1. How are they going to be judged? The heavens declare. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. What's he talking about? Everybody who's not Israel, Gentile. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Who is hearing? It's the Israelites. They rejected their Messiah. Does faith come by hearing and hearing the word of God? Yes, it does. But we think the word of God is simply the Bible. It's more than that. Faith comes by hearing and accepting what you hear as truth, as reality. See, you can hear. Did they not hear? They heard. So why didn't they have faith? They didn't accept it as truth. That's not the Messiah. Can't be. Remember how we talked about the four messianic miracles and they had to perform. The, they believed that the Messiah would come in and perform these four miracles. And this would confirm to them that he was the Messiah. And that the Pharisees would go and investigate him. And that's what he did and, and all of this other stuff. And yet they still didn't believe. Why? They didn't want to. So it's not just hearing the word. It's accepting it as true. It's looking at the world around us and saying, okay, did God really make all of this? Now let's look at John 3.16. You guys know this one, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That word believes is that same word, Pisces. It's faith. It's the same thing. So basically, if we broke down what is faith, it is unbridled belief. In our case, do you have faith in other things? Sure you do. Many of you have faith that when you go out, you're going to turn the key in your car, it's going to start, right? You're not thinking about it. You're not like, I sure hope it starts. It's going to start. You're more shocked when it doesn't, right? Okay? We have faith in things. We have a belief that things are going to take place, right? If you fall downstairs, you know it's going to hurt. Experience may tell you that. Maybe you've had somebody else experience that. So do you have to experience that falling downstairs to know that it might hurt? Not necessarily. Why? You're taking the firsthand testimony of somebody who has done it. That would be me. As in another example... When you're in high school, some of you guys are a little past high school, that when you live in a, a one-and-a-half-story house and you own a trampoline, you don't push the trampoline up next to the house to jump off the roof to see how high you can get. It hurts. And you hit the ground. So do you need to go do that to find out if it hurts? I hope not. So what is this belief, and how, where do we get it, and where, where do we go? Well, we're going to look at that, but let's look at this for a minute. I want to look at the story, and it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, of the story with the woman with the issue of blood. See, the way the story is told, and here's, here's the premise, is that she had this, this bleeding that was going on for 12 years. No doctor, she spent everything she had, no doctor could help her. There was no hope. But then she heard about Jesus, and she broke the Mosaic law by pushing her way through the crowd. Because remember, if she was bleeding like that, she was unclean and had to stay away from the masses. And she thought in her mind, if I could only touch the hem of his garment, and then I'll be made well. And she goes and she does it, and Jesus said, well, who touched me? And the disciples get on to him, and it's like, hey, uh, you know, you've kind of got people all around you. It's like, everybody's touching you. And the way we paint this picture is that she created some mechanism in her mind. That's where her faith was. If she could just believe, she's like, even this little thing, I could just believe. And she walk up there, and sure enough, it works. 
And I want to look at this. I'm going to look at this carefully. We're going to look at this slowly because I want to show you the reality of where her faith was. And it was not an abstract comment. Okay? So let's look at this. Let's jump into Luke chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 41. What you'll notice as we go through this, that each one paints a little, it gives us a little bit more detail. Luke chapter 8, verse 41. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had only, had a, uh, his, had his only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. So this is kind of, this woman thing is sandwiched between another story, because he's going to go and heal this young girl. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. They were all over him is what that means. Now a woman, having a flow of blood for 12 years, who has spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed. Does that happen today? Oh, you better believe it. Could not be healed by any. She spent everything she had. Like there was nothing left that could be done. She had no money left. Came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? And when all denied it, Peter and those who were with him said, Master, the multitude strong and pressed you. And you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me. I perceive power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden and she came trembling and falling down before him, she declared to him in the presence of all people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. What made her well? Are you sure? read the next one okay let's look at this carefully mark chapter 5 verse 25 now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and has suffered many things from many physicians you know the way they say that is like they're pounding on her or something anyway she has spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse when she heard about jesus she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment for she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I may be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you. And you, see, you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to him, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So you notice how this is a little bit more abbreviated. Before Matt, or Luke tells us that it was like she touched the hem of his garment. Here she said, touched his clothes. But the results were the same. Your faith has made you well. Faith in what? The touching the garments or in him? Why did she have faith that he could do this? And why did she have faith that by touching his clothes that this would work? It's more than that. But yes. Now, well, she'd heard. That's true. But it goes more than that. Let's look at Matthew chapter 9. Verse 18, while he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, and come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did the disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for twelve years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well that hour. We've got three different stories. We've got three different examples. We've got multiple different details. But the bottom line, when we put all of this together, is that she said to herself that if I could just touch the hem of his garment, which well, is completely hopeless, that Jesus is able to make me well. Would we agree with that statement? Yes. Do we believe that this happened? Absolutely. Why? The word says it. We believe that the word is true. But what is it about this hymn? 
Now, I'm going to break this down for you, and I'm going to go a little slowly. I know most of you probably have never heard this. Go ahead and go to this next slide, guys. When it says the hymn, okay, the hymn of his garment, that Greek word here is kraspedon, K-R-A-S-P-E-D-O-N, for those of you taking notes. It means hymn. It means border. You see, it says edge, border. The key word there is tassel. See, you got to remember, these are Jewish men. Jesus was a Jewish man. He was a rabbi, which means teacher. So what is this tassel? Why is this a big deal? Why did she say that if I could just touch this tassel, I'll be made well? Well, to get this, we got to go back to Numbers, the book of Numbers, in chapter 15, and see what this is. What was it that he would have been wearing? Numbers chapter 15, verse 38. Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corner of their garments through their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassel of the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined, that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. Now, remember, these are the laws given to the nation of Israel. Now, I've got here something that I want to show you. Now, I don't know if this thing is authentic. I don't know if a real Jewish person would use it. We call this a tallit. Or that's what they call it. I guess we call it a prayer shawl. Some of you guys have seen this. This thing's huge. Okay? And uh, some of them are bigger. This is, this is probably a smaller version. I got the bigger version because I'm a bigger guy because I'm going to demonstrate this. All right? So you remember when I blew the shofar? Well, attempted to blow the shofar? <laughs> it's going to be very similar. Okay? But they would wear these around here. You guys ever read a passage where it talked about going into your prayer closet? This was the prayer closet. They'd go under like this. So they didn't have a room in their house where they went that had 97 pairs of shoes in it. Okay? This was their prayer closet. When they go into this, there was just them and God. Now, that may seem strange to you because obviously everybody around them can hear, but that meant something. Now, on this garment, this tallit, each corner has what are called zitzits. You may see people today, they don't always wear these types of things around. They'll have them on the, uh, the, like the hem of their pants or something like that. It'll be hanging there. It is to remind them to keep the commandments of God, right? Look upon it and remember all the commandments. Each corner has eight threads, and each group of threads has five knots. The word zitzit in Hebrew, remember the Maseroth where it has the numbers and all of that, equals 600. Then you have eight threads plus five knots is 13, 613. There are 613 commandments given by God to the nation of Israel. So when they see that, they will remember that. Fair enough? You guys following me so far? Okay. So this meant something to them. They would always have this. You've been to Jerusalem. I mean, did they walk around with some of this stuff or have them when they were praying? Some do, some don't. It's not as prevalent today as it probably was back then. Certainly when they were in the synagogue, they would have it. And if they weren't wearing this specifically, they would still have the seats hanging off of them. Because when they looked at that, it was a reminder to keep the commandments of God. And believe me, they needed the reminders. Okay? Because they didn't often keep the commandments of God. But here's what's interesting. Can you put that last verse back up? You see the word tassel there? Okay. Go to the next one. This is the same word that we just saw a minute ago in Greek. But here's the Hebrew version of it. It's kanaf. This is where the Greek word comes from. And here's a different meanings that it is used in different times. But look at how the primary one is. Wing. Okay? Now, to understand this, let's go to Psalm 91. 
starting in verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings, tassels, you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. So why did they wear this and wear this as their, their closet and whatnot? When they put it up, up over their head, they are now underneath the wings of the Almighty. And they would say their prayers. No harm could befall them when they were doing this. You guys see how that works? Now you're probably sitting there thinking, okay, that's wonderful. What does that have to do with what you're talking about? We could break it down and say, well, you know, they had faith and they believed it and they did it and all of that. Jesus would have had one of these. He was a rabbi. Okay? But what about touching this tassel, this hem, this corner of the garment, said to this woman, if I could only do that, then I'd be healed. Okay? Go to Malachi chapter 4. Verse 2, but to you who fear my name, what does that mean? They're believers. The son of righteousness shall arise. That's a messianic title with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow like fat, strong head calves. Malachi was a prophet. This woman knew the prophecy that when the Messiah comes, he would come with healing in his wings. You see what happened. She knew what the prophet had said. I bet that, that prophecy was read. And so because she heard it and accepted his truth, she believed it. And she believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Therefore, if I can only touch the corner of his garment, I will be made well. Why is that? Because the word says it. You guys see how that works? This wasn't some abstract idea. She wasn't sitting around thinking, okay, I know he spit in some dude's eyes. Maybe I can just touch his clothes. Like one-up him or something. This wasn't going on. But what had happened is she was fully persuaded of what the prophets had said and that he was the Messiah and therefore if he's the Messiah, then according to his word, this should work. You guys see that? She had belief. Wasn't blindly leading in there. Wasn't abstract. Well, look what happens in Mark chapter 6 because this is just after that. Verse 56, wherever he entered, Jesus, into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplace and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. She wasn't alone. She wasn't the only one that did this. Why? When the Messiah comes, there'll be healing in his wings. We don't know this because we don't know the word. We don't know the Old Testament. They didn't just agree with that. They believed it. This woman did everything possible to get to Jesus because she was fully persuaded. You guys see what I'm saying here? I mean, it's, it's, it's so much bigger. But what about those verses in Hebrews we read earlier? I'm going to read you through all of chapter 11 of Hebrews here briefly. Because I want you to see this. You see, we're seeing what faith is, what it truly is. It's not this abstract. It's not that it's just now. It is just simply accepting God for who he is. Let's look at this. Verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence not of things not seen. That word now is just a transitive verb. It's going from one section and say, okay, and now we're going to talk about this. So is faith now? Yeah, we believe that God did it. So in that sense, yes, but you'll see that used time and time again. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were made, not made of things which are visible. 
How do we get there by faith? How do we get there by belief? We weren't there to watch it happen. We have to trust him. Verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. Why did Abel do that? Because God had laid out a formula on how they were to bring their offering. And what witness was he given that he was righteous? God consumed his sacrifice and not his brother. And through it, the testifying of his gifts, that he's being dead, but yet he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. He was translated out. He was raptured, if you will. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Pause there. Enoch, remember, before the flood of Noah. Okay, he was the one saying, hey guys, you know, this is what's going to happen. It was his son, Methuselah, his name meaning his death will bring. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So what is faith? It is simply belief that God is and he is a rewarder of those who are diligently seeking him. That doesn't mean on accident. That doesn't mean taking a little Jesus and putting it in your back pocket and adding it to your life. That means that I am wholeheartedly sold out to him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. How are you an heir? Believing that God is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Why did it take faith but to Noah to build an ark? It had never rained. Hey, you're going to send a flood. Yeah, it hadn't even rained yet. I mean, you think he's nuts. I'm sure they thought he was nuts. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, with the heirs with him of the same promise. Remember, he was doing pretty well where he was. God said, hey, I need you to get up and move to a place I'm going to show you. Where am I going? Don't worry about that. Get moving. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Who built the city of Jerusalem? Wasn't called that then. Who built that city? God did. He believed it by faith. He didn't know where he was going, but God is, he believed, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Sarah, that's his wife, herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age. That means she's too old. Because she judged him who... Jesus, God, faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in the multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. What did she do? She was fully persuaded that God is able and that he is and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Wait a minute, did Abraham die before he received all the promises? Sort of. Did Noah die before he received the promise? No, he didn't. So what's the promise? It's bigger than just the flood, guys. Remember, Noah went through the flood. God said the flood's coming. That was the promise. It came. He was spared. Let's go on. But having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed them that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Remember what we talked about, that we are in this world. We're not of this world. What is he talking about here? 
that we're just strangers here, pilgrims in this land. In other words, there's a greater thing afar off, things that the prophets wrote to, that they desire to look into, that angels want to know about, and yet we have received. What are we talking about? The coming of the Messiah. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Did they all dwell in a city together? No. But will they ultimately? Yes. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding, this is the conclusion that Abraham came to when God told him to offer up his son as a sacrifice, that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. That means when God gave the command that Isaac was already dead in his mind because he believed God, but he knew that God had promised that this young man would have children and would be my heir, and from that heir that all the nations of the world would be blessed. And so he knew that God was able to raise him up from the dead. So he walked up there fully persuaded that I will obey God because I trust God's previous promises. Let's go on. Verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the department departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. They knew something about this young man was special. By faith, Moses, when he had become of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ? Wait a minute. There's no Christ here. Not yet. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, and he looked to the reward. What was the reward? The Messiah, Christ. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Let me tell you something. God's telling you that there's an angel coming. He's going to kill all the firstborn. But let me tell you how to get out of it. You better act. And by faith, he did. He was fully persuaded that God's word was true. And by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Hey, if you're coming up to a major place you got to get through, and all of a sudden all the water separates and you got a ways to go, you're probably thinking twice before I just take off running down the middle, right? But he knew that God had done this. Verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. How about that one? Here's what you need to do, guys. Those walls are coming down. On that last day, circle around it seven times, then yell real loud. They'll come down. Are you going to do it? I wouldn't have done it. Not a chance. I'm like, okay, whoever said that is nuts. That's not how walls come down, right? Dynamite and jackhammers, that's how walls come down. But by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Why didn't she perish? Because she believed the words of the spies that went in, that they would spare her, and they did. And what more shall I say? This is the writer of Hebrews. 
For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, belief, trust in God. Through faith they subdued kingdoms, they worked righteousness, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. What are they looking for? Christ. Still others had trials of mockings and scourging, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. This is all pretty rough stuff, guys. And what do we face? Getting unfriended on Facebook. We're doing all right. Still others had trials and mockings and scourging, yes, and chains of imprisonment. They were stoned and were sawn in two and were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. He just tells us they didn't receive the promise, right? God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What's the promise, guys, that they were ultimately waiting for? The Messiah. There were a bunch of little promises along the way, and they judged God faithful in those. But ultimately, it was the belief that God's going to send the Messiah. Now look at chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, in other words, because of all of this, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what are we, who are the witnesses? All them people he just described. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus is our author, he is our creator, and he is the completer of our faith. He's the one that created it, and he's the one that brings it to completion. The question is, is when are we going to believe it? When are we going to be fully persuaded that God is and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, when the Bible says that when you come to Christ, that the old is gone and the new has come, we've got to judge God faithful, that he is and a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, that that is true. And if we do that, then we're created new. But it didn't stop there. Because he also said, is that greater miracles will you do because I go to the Father. And we don't believe that either. And we don't believe that, that he said that, you know, by my stripes, you'll be healed well, we don't believe that either. I mean, we say we do. We agree with it, but we don't walk in it. We don't act on it. We don't pray for the sick. We talk about it. We pray for them from a distance. We don't go lay hands on them like he said to. Why? Because we, we're not convinced. We're not fully persuaded, church. You see, faith isn't just an action. It's so much greater than that. It's this word faith that gets thrown around all the time. Faith is really simple. Do you believe it? Is God a rewarder? Of those who diligently seek him? You know what says God is? Moses, go tell him that I am sent you. I'd be like, can you give me a little more detail? You got a business card I can hand them? I mean, what do you got? Guys, it's so simple. We just got to believe God. See, when we're more persuaded about the, the truth of the word of God than we are the what we face, then we begin to see action take place. But we're not there yet. 
I mean, we don't even believe that we're to go out in all the nations and preach the gospel and make disciples of all them around us, right? Because we don't do it. If we really believe that, if we really believe that people are dying and going to hell and going to spend eternity separated from God, maybe our our lives would be a little different and we'd act a little different. Maybe we'd get a little fired up and go out there and talk to our neighbors and talk to those we work with and talk to those around us. We We don't act like we are fully persuaded by that. Am I wrong? Am I right? I'll help you out. I'm right. I'm not setting you up. I'm right. Just trust me on that one. I mean, guys, what happened today? The power of God is still alive and real today. He's still moving and acting. Jim sent me a video uh, uh, down in Haiti. There's a revival going on. The new president is like invoking Christianity and promoting it and all of this stuff in Haiti. We know what the president said about it, right? Only God can change that. I'm not going to repeat what the president said about it. If you don't know, don't go look it up. It wasn't nice. I mean, guys, God is moving all over the place. And yet, for some reason, we hear those stories and we're excited about it. It's like, but why not here? And why not now? Do you think God just doesn't like this area? Is it too cold for him? I mean, what's the deal? Because we're not fully persuaded. When you're fully persuaded that you lay hands on the sick and you recover, you'll go and you'll do it. You let God worry about the outcome. That's on him. I mean, when you believe that every person that you are eyeball to eyeball with is somebody that Jesus died for, you'll go and you'll talk to them because you don't want, like, this is real. If you had a cure for cancer and you knew somebody with cancer, how much you got to hate them to not give it to them? We've got the cure. So how much do we hate people? I don't know. We're just getting started. Because we've got to understand what this belief, this trust is, guys. It's so much... More, and yet it's so much simpler than what we made it out to be. But God's word is true. And just like that woman who knew what the word said, knew what the prophet had spoken about the Messiah, knew how she could find her answer, we can do the exact same thing. We just got to be fully persuaded. 